This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. I see Nikki is on the line. We're very lucky to have Nikki, another regular of our Treasurer Conference and other events. Nikki, I know you've got a heck of a full schedule and I think we managed to snatch you in a 15-minute window today. I'm not going to use up your time, so over to you. All right. So, yes, I mean, uh, listen, my brief today uh, for all of you is that I was told to be brief, so I'm going to do just that. I thought it was best I use this opportunity to kind of talk you through our forecast. I don't think I need to tell all of you that COVID-19, the pandemic and the lockdown measures that we've seen will cause considerable damage, not only to the global, uh, the world economy, but to South Africa specifically. But I suppose the question you would really want answered is, is not that it will be bad, but how bad is bad. So that's kind of what I'm going to focus on to give you a little bit of context. So to answer that question, how bad will bad be? Well, at the risk of sounding like an economist, I would have to say it depends. <laughs> and on what, on what you might say will it depend? Well, on how long the lockdown lasts and whether the easing of restrictions um, the president announced will be announced in the coming days will indeed be sensible. And I think one of the, the, the biggest problems in the, in the case of South Africa is the nature of the lockdown. The way we have implemented the lockdown has been unique. This is not something that has occurred in the rest of the world, even though we keep saying that we are following the rest of the world and we are following good advice when it comes to the economic side of the equation, we certainly haven't done so. And because it is unique, it's also therefore been uniquely damaging. So we focused uh, our lockdown measures um, on which products are allowed to be sold and on which industries are allowed to operate without really taking in consideration that supply chains run across multiple products across multiple industries and sectors. So as such, even the easing of the restrictions as we went from level five to level four, for example, have not really helped to bring about any meaningful increase in economic activity. It's almost just as bad as staying into level five. So what's the problem here? Let's use the example of an automotive manufacturer, a motor vehicle manufacturer of fully built up vehicles. Under level five, they were not allowed to operate at all. Under level four, they can now, in theory, ramp up their production to what is it? Uh, Almost 100% of staff uh, capacity. But here's the problem. What's the point? in ramping up your production when you already sit with a yard full of vehicles you can't sell because your key outlet dealerships are closed. All right. So government has taken that point, and I do understand it was yesterday or the day before they said that motor vehicle dealerships will be allowed to operate. But this is just one example of multiple such um, cases across the South African economy that's been affected by the regulation that's been written under the lockdowns. So in our opinion, that has probably been the most damaging side um, of of the experience we've had up to date. So if we see sensible changes being implemented, such as e-commerce and the opening up of whole supply chains across the primary, secondary and tertiary sectors. And we see it with immediate effect in the announcements we are anticipating in the next few days. Then South Africa could maybe emerge from this lockdown with at least some semblance of a functioning economy intact.
But I think we have to accept that we're going to take a big hit and we have to accept that the consequences are going to be relatively severe and that the impact could also be prolonged. Um, in our base scenario, we assume that conditions remain depressed in May and that the economy is only slowly and very gradually reopened and that production and sales are really slow to rise, partly because we're taking this sort of very patchy product by product, industry by industry view of how the lockdown, of, of easing the lockdown and reopening the economy. So production and sales remain really slow to rise and it only in our sort of assumption gathers momentum around the final quarter of this year. And that brings us to a, a GDP forecast for this year of a contraction of 7%. And then we see a sort of a, a gradual recovery off that low base from 2021 onwards. Now, our model, unfortunately, if we put in all of these sorts of assumptions and um, uh, we use normal economic relationships and, you know, the coefficients between different economic variables, it sort of spits out a model, um, a growth rate of only around 3% for 2021. And then after 2021, GDP sort of recedes to below 2% in the outer years. So that means that if you contract 7% this year and you only grow 3% next year, that you're taking a permanent hit. And that the, the damage from 2020, from the, from the COVID crisis that we are currently living through, uh, will be enduring. And that's going to work in our view through two channels. You know, companies facing enormous financial strain during the lockdown will obviously postpone or scrap victim, fixed investment first. That's the easiest thing to do. So CapEx will not bounce back quickly in 2021 because those fir firms uh, that survive will sit with spare capacity and demand will also adjust to lower levels. So their incentive under those circumstances to go out there, raise the capital from the bank can expand their operations will be limited. So we think fixed investment will be a big channel on, uh, through which the weakness will uh, persist in the South African economy beyond 2020. And we see six fixed investment actually contracting by just over 16% this year and a further 1% next year and only really recovering from 2022 onwards. And then, of course, the other channel through which we have the more enduring impact of this COVID crisis is um, through company failures and cost-cutting exercises. Sadly, it's a reality if you're a firm and, you know, your cash flow is running out and you, you've got your back uh, really against the wall in that sense and uh, things are really getting very difficult. Ultimately, after you've cut back fixed investment, delayed it, postponed it, scrapped it, you do sadly have to consider job losses and you do sadly have to consider, you know, scrapping bonuses, reducing pay for many individuals. And it is through this channel that, um, the COVID crisis will have its second enduring effect. We do expect job losses. Our forecast is for about 1.6 million job losses, and we believe it will take almost three years before employment levels will return to pre-crisis levels. We also expect that the disposable income will decline in both nominal and real terms, and that will take about two years to return to pre-crisis levels. So that means there are less people earning an income, less people with the ability to spend, those that are still employed and lucky enough to have 
have a job like many of us, we will all earn less and therefore uh, we will also have less to spend and, and demand therefore will remain suppressed for some years to come. So that is partly re- the reason we only have that 3% increase in economic activity coming from this very low base in 2021. Now I know it's a gloomy tale, but I think it is realistic. It could even be worse if there's a second wave of COVID-19 across the globe. God forbid that is the case. It could also be uh, you know, worse if we continue with the lockdown regulations as they are at the moment. And, and the easing of restrictions that's been promised uh, continues to remain almost contradictory. It doesn't take into account that an, an economy is a dynamic organism. It isn't a static organism. That supply chains run across multiple products, multiple industries. And if it is, uh, if the easing of regulations are also arbitrary, then you're also going to struggle to get compliance from the public because the more ridiculous it becomes, the less likely the public is to comply. So things could be worse than they are. So far, luckily, I think South Africans, even among the poorest South Africans, have been incredibly compliant. And I think we all need uh, to just uh, appreciate that for a moment and, and, and the sacrifices many have made and how compliant South Africans have generally been. So government's had a very compliant citizenship and hopefully the worst doesn't happen. But like I say, I know, even if that, even on our base assumptions, it is a very gloomy picture. But there is some good news. Inflation is forecast to moderate significantly. Uh, we recently updated our inflation forecast. One of the things we do is we do a quick survey of our own, of prices, of rentals, and we put it into a sort of a bottom-up model. And I've got to tell you, it, it's looking very attractive indeed. We think inflation will probably hit a low of 1.7% in June. A big factor, of course, is the big cuts in petrol prices coming through, the reductions in rentals, the drop in interest rates, uh, its effect for owners' equivalent rent. And the fact that food prices, based on our Survey has actually been falling. I don't know if anyone else have experienced anything else. So uh, the bottom line is, you know, inflation falls to 1.7%. It's like we're America. And then it slowly rises to around 3% by the end of the year. And it averages only 2.8% this year. Next year, off this low base, it climbs to about 4%. But what that means is, remember, the MPC, the Monetary Policy Committee, they essentially target 4.5%. So inflation will therefore be quite comfortably below their target range for much of this year. And the reason for this is simple. You've got shrinking demand that will make it very difficult for price increases to occur. It will make it virtually impossible for companies to increase prices without hurting their volumes dramatically. And you've had the collapse in global oil prices, which has been causing a a disinflationary spiral. Um, So in our view, that will outweigh the impact of the weaker rand. And we do think that the MPC will therefore focus on growth. And we expect him to cut interest rates again. And in fact, initially we said maybe 50 basis points, 25 basis points in May. But honestly, if you're going to have inflation go down to 1.7%, you expect your economy to shrink even by by the Reserve Bank's forecast 6.1% this year then you might as well cut 100 basis points. It doesn't, it doesn't help or, or, or provide any kind of relief if you wait. So we're expecting a 100 basis point cut um, next week, Thursday. So that should help. As far as the RAND is concerned, I know there is that view out there that you know the RAND will strengthen because South Africa offers incredibly high yields compared to your low-risk countries that have cut interest rates dramatically and started printing money and undertaking very aggressive quantities 
quantitative easing. And um, this yield advantage that South Africa had should revive the carry trade and we should see renewed demand for South African government bonds and as a result of that we should see the RAND strengthen and some of the forecast out there they uh, see the RAND uh, ending the year at 1620, 1630 to the US dollar unfortunately we don't quite share that view Um, we do think the RAND's probably uh, most of the, the worst news is in the value of the RAND and we think the RAND is at its bottom and the worst is probably over for the currency. And we do see it strengthening a bit, but not to 1620, 1630, 1650 at the end of this year. And the reason for that is, fair enough, the high yield story has always been a South African story. The carry trade has always been a South African story. We've all seen that movie before, after a period where the random maybe depreciated very sharply. But for us, this time is a little bit different because they're all, during all the previous RAND crises, government's budget deficit was, you know, you look at the global financial crisis, it was a small surplus. Now we expect the government, uh, the budget deficit to surge to 14% of GDP this fiscal year and to hover around that 10% of GDP over the next two fiscal years. Their gross debt burden as a result will rise to close to 80% this year and to climb even higher over the medium term. And so we do think that the reality is if you're a foreign investor, you're looking at South Africa's fiscal situation. Yes, government debt offers a very good return, but it's also enormous risk. Because you know the only way the government can reverse this is by growing the economy. And, I mean, listen, make no mistake, I think they will try the route of higher taxes first. And when all other options have failed, they will consider more aggressively growing the economy. But that would mean that they would have to undertake substantial structural change. And I mean substantial, from energy policy to labor legislation to industry-specific regulation. And the aim of that would have to be to, um, well, maybe hurt vested interest. It will maybe not be in the advantage of the political connected. It will be aimed really of getting rid of um, the inefficiency, making this economy more efficient and reducing the cost competitiveness of the economy. That is really the only way they're going to get themselves out of the fiscal hole they're in in the moment. And that's difficult to execute from a political perspective. So that's why we think that structural reforms in the year ahead will probably be fairly uh, superficial and it will probably continue to occur at a snail space. And so we think that South Africa's risk is re-rated. Our risk premium has increased to a higher level. We will always be a speculative bet, but the truth of the matter is there is just too much risk to SA's fiscal metrics for investors liking in our view. So we see the RAND pulling back, but only pulling back very moderately, ending the year around 70, 80 to the US dollar. So that's that's our sort of view and thereafter depreciating at a far more moderate rate. So I'm afraid it is a gloomy story, but I hope that this little um, uh, quick wrap up gives you some sense of how we see the economy unfolding. And so thank you very much for listening to me um, drone on and stay safe and hopefully we see each other soon. Nikki, thanks so much. Certainly not droning on. Thanks for sticking to the the brief of being brief. You're actually quite good at the speed dating thing. Um, We are hoping to get Nikki back for 
a more detailed session, especially with this uh, emergency budget coming up. And again, we'll send invitations as and when we can arrange that. Thanks so much, Nikki. I'm sure you've got a lot on your plate as well at the moment. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.